end of the year. We are nearly there, nearly at the end of 2018. Um, does anyone else find that time between um, Christmas and New Year like a bit of a vacuum? And you lose all sense of what day it is, what time it is. You're, you're eating Cadbury's dairy milk at 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, you've gone from, from Christmas turkey dinner to, to turkey curry, to turkey crumble, to turkey souffle. Um, and, and you just don't know where you are. And suddenly New Year hits and, and you, you jump into consciousness again as if your life is about to reset. Um, and it's about this time of year that we get these, these review shows on the TV and on websites. You know, um, the, the biggest news of 2018, sports personality of the year, the, the best films of 2018, the most embarrassing moments of 2018, the biggest cucumbers of 2018. And, and they all come out, if, if you can think about it, there's a review for it. And it's an opportunity for us, and we've done it already this morning, to review our own year, to look back at, you know, how did our year go? What were the wins and what were the losses? What were the highs and what were the lows? What was... Well, where, where was the laughter in our year and where were the tears? We look back on our favorite days, moments that we'll, we'll treasure for the rest of our lives and, and sometimes moments we were part of, things we went to, things we saw, people we met and, and people we lost. And this morning we've already heard testimonies of God's greatness. We've already heard testimonies of, of God's goodness and I'm sure if we all sat down for a few moments, I wouldn't need to speak because we could all just give story after story after story after story of God's faithfulness and his, his grace, his sovereignty and, and his power. And for me, this has been a year um, when I sat down to think about it of actually resetting a lot of things in my life and, and I won't lie to you, there were moments of 2018 where I genuinely wondered what God was doing. And I had these moments where I sat um, in bed or I sat at, the, sat at my table and I'm like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in, in this year? Um, and, and because in the Bible, God seems to make things so simple. I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but we read stories where God makes a promise and then it's almost instantly fulfilled. And, and, and we start to expect the same and we go, well, God, if you did it in you know, minutes for them, why don't you do it for me? And, and when that, that kind of revealing the promise doesn't come instantly, we get a bit disappointed and we get a bit dejected and we, we, we start to allow God's promises to become rhetorical or, or just maybe historical. And, and this has been a year where I've had to trust God more than ever. I've had to trust God more than I've ever trusted him before, but it's been a year when I've never been more convinced of his faithfulness. I've never been more convinced that he's got things covered. I've never been more secure in his promise. And I've never been more submitted to his authority. And in, and in moments of, of waiting and wondering for me, you know, my faith's had opportunities to grow. And, and what's grown in me is, is, is a really firm reliance and trust in God and in his ability to do what he says he's going to do. Romans 4 says that Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. But Abraham had to wait. He had to wait for the promise to be fulfilled. And we've all spent time living in that tension, knowing God promised us something, knowing that God has spoken a word to us, and we wait for the fulfillment where we, we just don't see it happen yet. And I want to talk, uh, spend a few moments this morning just talking about that tension. How do we live in that tension? And, and how, just like a, a natural year, God moves us through seasons. God moves us through 
times and each season comes with challenges and it comes with opportunities. And I want to do this through the the lens of an Old Testament character. And I want to look at the story of Joseph. Um, Joseph, the the favorite son of Jacob, the boy with the multicolored coat. Except it wasn't a coat and it wasn't multicolored, but never mind. Um, But you can see the story of Joseph can be read through the context of seasons. And hopefully this morning, I want to just, just bring some life to that. And it's all about how life can change in a moment. But, but with each season, there's a challenge and there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to rest. There's an opportunity to, to sow. There's an opportunity to grow and then there's an opportunity to reap. So if you do have your Bibles, we're, gonna, we're not going to read a set text this morning, but I'm just going to skim through Joseph's life. If I can. So here's, we pick up the story of Joseph in chapter 37. And when we first encounter Joseph, he's in a season of rest. He's, he's at home with his family. He's got dreams. He's got visions. He's got ambitions. He's, he's acutely aware that there's a greatness in him. But he's not doing anything about it. He's, he's you know, not actively pursuing anything. He's just resting in who he is. He's confident in who he is. He's confident in his destiny. God has given me this dream, and I know he's going to make it happen, and I'm just going to wait for God to do it. That's an incredible position to be in. I don't know if you know that. To be able to just know what God's called you to be in and rest in that. At a really young age as well, he's about 17. And and in the farming community, there's, there's times... When they leave a field unsown, I am not a farmer by any means, but, but I, I, I looked this up and I, I think it talks about fallowing and leaving a field fallow. I think that's right. And, and the idea is that when you leave your land fallow for a season or fallow for a year, it actually makes it more productive the next year because it's had time to rest. And it makes it more fertile next year. And, and even God in Leviticus, God, God ordains the seventh year to be a year of rest. Where, where the farmers took their field and they said, right, this year we're not going to plant anything. We're not going to sow anything. We're just going to let the field rest. And next year it will be more productive. Next year it will be more fruitful. And this idea of Sabbath, God, tells, God says to us, rest. Take a day of rest. To take time out of our busy lives and just be. And what it does, it enables us to be more productive. It enables us to be more energized. It's a great principle that I know I need to get better at. And I, I, I know that there'll be people here as well. At the start of this year, you might not be aware of this, but I uh, made the decision where I took three months off. I didn't speak. I didn't lead worship. I didn't lead a meeting. I didn't even go to some meetings um, because I started the year exhausted. I started 2018 absolutely shattered. And I'm an, I'm an all or nothing guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm either fully in or I'm fully out. And I, I'd given my all in, in so many areas and I'd spread myself so thin that I'd actually drove myself to exhaustion. And I was done. Uh, and without going into it, I was, I was, I'm naturally grumpy anyway. But I was on uber grumpy mode. All right? um, I was agitated. I was frustrated. And, and I started to doubt the call of God on my life. And I started to go, God, what are you doing? Is, is this where I'm meant to be? Is this right? Do I just... Drop this all now. And God said, rest. God said, take some time. And me and Hannah sat down and we, we said, right, I'm going to take three months off. And apart from my, my, my normal day-to-day work as a teacher, I came home and I did nothing. And I mean, I did nothing. Um, I'd come home. I, I would play with Naomi. I'd watch TV. I read books to enjoy them and not to study. Um, I actually read a novel. I haven't read a novel since I was 12. 
I'm not lying. I teach English, and I have to say to, the, I have to, say to my students, like, the importance of reading novels. <laughs> I didn't turn my laptop on. I know that will amaze some of you. I didn't turn it on. I didn't check my emails. There were days I didn't even turn my phone on. But I prayed more. I journaled more. And in, in those three months, I rediscovered who I was. I rediscovered my passion. And God confirmed the call on my life. He reminded me of, of who I was. And I came back after three months more energized, more focused, more hopefully more productive because I'd taken time out for God to remind me who I was. For God to remind me of the, the, who he'd called me to be. And some of you might be in that place now that, that maybe you are rested. You've had a rest and now you're ready in January to hit the year head on and go for it. But maybe some people, you're just glad the end of the year has come. Because you need a rest. Because you need a break. And, and I want to encourage you that because went from that place of rest, God can use you in a far greater way. God can use you in an incredibly great way because you're ready to be used. You're ready to be sown into. And if that is you this morning, can I just encourage you that you enter a deliberate, intentional time, that you take some time at the start of this year to rest, that you build it into your week. Because as we see in the life of Joseph, it's from the place of rest that God launches him into his future. And there's some patterns we can see. Whatever season Joseph seems to move into, the same things crop up. There's a position he maintains. There's a capacity and a determination within him that enables him, whatever season he's in, whatever his circumstances are, to maintain the calling on his life. And, and I'll try and draw those out as I go. But right at the start of this, we can see that, that Joseph, he's not the firstborn. He is not the heir to his father's inheritance. He is not going to... Um, inherit his father's land or his wealth, but he is definitely the most loved. And we see in, in chapter 37 that Joseph reports to his father. Basically, some people, I've chatted this through, Han, Hannah's always read this as Joseph was a bit of a snitch, you know, telling tales on his brothers. But to me, there's something about Joseph's character where he, he just won't allow his brothers to just do what they want. He won't allow his brothers to, to get away with anything their father wouldn't approve of. Because if you read the previous chapters of Genesis, these brothers are not nice boys. They are really, some of them are quite nasty. Um, and, and so as we read it, we can see that Joseph, despite not being the firstborn, he's the number two. He's the number two in that house. And we can see that because when he's 17 years old, he's not working. Because Joseph sends him to check on his brothers who were out in the fields doing the work. Joseph's at home, resting in who he is. And, and he, he's certainly old enough to work, and he goes out to check on his brothers. And while he's there, he realizes his, his brothers aren't. They've gone. They've moved on to another place. And he starts to wander around, look for them. And, and it says that a certain man spots him and asks him, what, what are you looking for? And Joseph says, I'm looking for my brothers. Now, we don't know who this man is. We, we don't know who this man is, and there's commentators that suggest this, this man is an angel because he knows Joseph. He knows Joseph's brothers, and, and he directs Joseph to Dothan, which is where his brothers are. And I want to pause there, and, I, and I've brought that up because I, I want you to see the incredible providence of God in that moment, that, that he would place a man in the right place at the right time to send Joseph to Dothan. Because if Joseph had got to Shechem where he thought his brothers were and he didn't see them, he'd have probably gone home. 
He'd have gone back to his father, said, can't find them, I'll try again tomorrow. But that man is placed there for, for a deliberate, intentional purpose that he needs Joseph to get to Dothan because jo- Dothan is on the trade route to Egypt. If he doesn't go to Dothan, he can't go to Egypt. If he doesn't go to Egypt, he doesn't meet Potiphar. If he doesn't meet Potiphar, he doesn't end up in the prison. If he doesn't end up in the prison, he doesn't meet Pharaoh. Can you see how one man placed randomly that just slightly changes the, the, the direction Joseph walks in, changes his whole destiny? And I think God does that to us, that he'll put people in our lives that, that, that when we're rested, people will speak into our lives and they, they'll, they'll say words that will just change where we're going. That when we're rested in God, we become more receptive to his voice. We become more receptive to the direction. And, and maybe you're being pointed in a, in a direction you never thought you'd go in, that you weren't expecting to go in. Um, and maybe it's not where you want to be going, but maybe that's where the promise is. Maybe that's where God wants you. That's for you to, to work out. And as we, we continue the narrative, we see Joseph is, is, is captured by his brothers. He is thrown into a pit. He's sold to the hairy Ishmaelites. And, and they are heading for Egypt. And he is sold to Potiphar. Potiphar, who is the head of security to Pharaoh. That's not a coincidence that Potiphar is Pharaoh's head of security. And, and I've kind of subtitled this as Joseph's sowing season because Joseph's got a choice. He could um, act like any other slave, turn his back on God and say, okay, God, well, I'm here now. I'm just going to do what I've got to do to survive. And, and maybe one day I'll escape. Maybe one day I'll be liberated. Maybe I'll get out of this. Or maybe he could honor God. Maybe he could choose to serve his new master to the best of his ability. And do you know there are seasons in our lives where we're not where we want to be? You know, that might be physical. That might be in our careers, it might be in our spiritual lives, it might be in our relationship. Um, but what I believe is that God calls us to sow into wherever we are. It's Jeremiah 29, and I always bring this up, it's kind of one of my favorite verses. We all know Jeremiah 29.10. We all know it, or 11. Um, and we have this tendency to read it in isolation. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, plans to prosper you. And, and we, we put it on fridge magnets, and we put it on bookmarks, and, and we have it in the toilet, and we, we, we post it on Facebook, and we post it on Instagram. But when we put it in context, the words explode off the page. This is God through Jeremiah talking to a nation that are just about to be sent into captivity for 70 years. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you. For I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. When you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me and I will bring you home again into your own land. So into where I've placed you. Work for where I've sent you because I know the plans. And they are plans for good. They are plans to give you a future and a hope. When you pray, I will listen. And when you look for me, you will find me. Now notice the onus is on us, not on God. We've got to look. We've got to pray. We've got to sow, and he's got the plan. And I love this bit. I will bring you home. I'll bring you back. I'll bring you back to where you're meant to be. 
Now, that might be bringing you back to a physical location. It might be bringing you just back to a place where you just feel right again. You just feel home again. And for Joseph, this, this prophecy is hundreds of years away. But I believe that God is, is a God that his spirit transcends time and trans space. And I wonder, as he walked that long walk to Egypt, if these words just whispered in his ears, I'm sending you somewhere. I'm sending you somewhere in captivity, but I want you to work for it. I want you to sow into this place because I've got a plan. That dream you had is still going to happen, but now the onus is on you. You've got to sow. You've got to build into this. And roughly, Joseph serves Potiphar for maybe six or seven years. We don't know exactly. And, and he works hard and, and he impresses Potiphar. And, and in chapter 39, it says that Potiphar tr- trusted Joseph so much that he brought him in charge of his whole house. Now, that's incredible. He's gone from number two in his family to number two in the chief of security for Pharaoh. He's still number two because his character and his capacity enabled him to get there. He reported to Potiphar. He was in charge of everything. The only thing Potiphar didn't worry about was what he was going to eat. Joseph ran everything. Joseph ran that house. And I wonder if for this year some people are just about to enter a season of sowing where maybe you're not where you want to be, but God's calling you to to sow into where you are. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for sowing and a time for reaping. Notice it's in that order because you can't sow what you don't, sorry, you can't reap what you don't sow. The great philosopher Dolly Parton, she said this, You won't drink the water if you don't dig the well. How are you going to sow into yourself this year? How are you going to sow into where God's put you? And and I've tried over this year to be more intentional about what I'm sowing into myself. I'm more purposeful about the books I read. Naturally, I've got a a natural inclination towards kind of Bible study books and books that delve into the the history of the Bible and the history of of Israel and and, and biblical culture and and looking at, okay, what did Jesus say in the culture? What did it mean? But I made the decision to to read more books that would just speak to me, that would speak into my life, that would would build me up and not just build my knowledge. And And I don't want to sound arrogant when I say this, but what I've always had is a high capacity I've always been very capable. Um, and, and in my time of rest, I realized that, that God didn't want to do anything with my capacity, but he wanted to do some work on my character. That he knew I was capable, he knew I was able, but I needed the character to sustain it. And in the life of Joseph, what we see time and time again is how his capacity gets him to a level, but his, his, his character doesn't just keep him there, it enables him to move on. And I've learned this, that capacity can build an empire. But it's character that sustains it. Capacity can, can build whatever you want to build. But your character is what allows you to sustain it. And I want to ask the question, how are you going to allow God to develop your character this year? What are you going to sow into yourself that's going to allow God to do the work he wants to do in you and, and through you? So Joseph is in charge of the house. His character and his capacity have got him to this place. And as as well as impressing Potiphar, Joseph impresses someone else. Potiphar's wife. 
And, and I love this, Josephus, he, he's a Jewish historian, and he says that, jo, that Potiphar's wife has, and this is a quote from a, an ancient Hebrew text, naughty inclinations. And she is beset with a naughty passion. Um, and, and she tries, if you don't know the story, she tries to get Joseph to sleep with her and, and he refuses. And this goes on for a bit. And eventually she just launches herself at him and grabs his cloak. And, and, he, and Joseph scarpers, but, but in the struggle he leaves his cloak behind and she uses it as evidence to frame Joseph for, for rape. And we have to read verse 19 and 20 really, really carefully because it says that Potiphar was furious. I'm not sure who he's furious with. Because, and this is why, because Joseph should have been executed. By all rights and by, by Egyptian and even Hebrew law, Joseph should have been executed there and then, that day. But Potiphar puts him in prison. And not just any prison. This is an M&S prison. This, this is the best prison he could have been in. Because this is the king's prison. He put him in the king's prison, the prison for, for Pharaoh's prisoners. Remember, Potiphar is Pharaoh's head of security, the only guy who would have access to that prison. And he puts him in there. Because if he's not in that prison, he can't get access to Pharaoh. And I think there's a grace on, on Potiphar's life that says to Joseph, listen, I don't know. I can't, I'm not going to execute you. I can't you know, go against what my wife is saying, but I'm just going to put you somewhere where, where I can keep an eye on you. And actually, what Potiphar does what is, is put Joseph in a place where he's going to move on to his next thing. It's the incredible providence of God. And, and you know that the baker and the cupbearer, they were Pharaoh's servants. They were Joseph's access. They weren't the servants of anyone else. Any other servant would have been put in any other prison. This was the king's prison. This was, was Potiphar's prison. And, and I just want you to see how God just works all these little details out in order to make his plans come to fruition. Romans 8, 28, you know, we know God uses all things to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And, and in this topic of seasons, I've labeled this as Joseph's season to grow. This is Joseph's season to grow, and he still does what he's done before. His, his capacity and his character and, and, and God working through him, and, and he eventually becomes, if you read it, he becomes the number two in the prison. He's in charge of the prison. The, prisoner, the prison officer, the warden of the prison, doesn't worry about what's going on because Joseph's in charge. Can you imagine that in Exeter? Just turning around to one of the inmates and saying, here you go, mate, here's the keys. You're in charge. It's an incredible position of trust. But it's Joseph's character and his capacity that enables him to still sit in this number two level. Work for the peace and the prosperity of the place I've sent you. Even in the prison. But, but now Joseph needs to grow. He's sown into his own life. He's, he's built something up in his life. But, but in his walk with God, it's, it's in the prison. For the first time you see him... him um, Credit God with the interpretation of dreams. 
He doesn't do it earlier on when he's, he's talking about his dreams with his brothers. This is the first time he mentions God and credits God with the interpretation of dreams. Uh, and when the interpretation kind of comes to pass and the cupbearer is restored and the baker is executed, Joseph is left in prison. The text says he's forgotten about. And you might be asking, well, well how does Joseph grow? He didn't, didn't do anything. There's... There's no textual evidence that, that Joseph did anything. He didn't grow to an even greater position. There's literally just a gap. It's, it's an end of a chapter. And it's two years of waiting. So how do I know Joseph grew in those two years? And I know this because um, verse 16 of chapter 41 says, that when he gets out of prison, two years later, after two years of, of, of nothing but sitting, waiting in the dark, he's still giving God the credit. That's how I know he grew. Because he's, as he stands before Pharaoh, and he knows that he could just get sent back to prison straight away. He knows that once he's interpreted the dream, he could be rechained up and sent back. He, he knows he could take the credit. He knows he could say, you know, this is all down to me. God, will you, you know, and I'll try and work out some plea bargain and try and get less time or I'll try and get set free. But, but he stands in Pharaoh's court and he says, I don't know. But I know a God that can. Now he's waited two years for that moment. And that's how I knew he grew because he, he credits God, even still, even sitting in the dark and the mud and the slime for two years, and he comes out and he's still giving God the glory. That's how I knew he grew. And this year, I've had to grow. Uh, I went out running um, in, in July. Some people are laughing already. Um, I'm, I'm desperately trying to get fit. I'm still, I'm still trying. Um, I set myself the challenge of trying to lose about 10 pounds. And, and because I've been so disciplined over Christmas, I've only got £15 to go. Um, and I got home and, and Hannah met me at the door and, and, you know, I thought, this is my wife, give me a drink as I arrive. Beautiful. And she says, you need to ring your mum. And I, I rang and, and my mum said that my dad was ill. They, they suspected he had a brain tumour. And it turned out eventually to be two stage four tumours. Uh, and I went upstairs and, and I sat on our bed and, and I wasn't having this. I was not having this. My God was bigger. My God was, was greater. He was stronger. He was going to heal my dad. This was going to be an incredible story of God's power. It was going to be an incredible story of God's provision. It's going to be an incredible witness to my family who were all unsaved. That was how strong my faith was. That, that God is going, to, is going to pull through and it's going to result in my whole family being saved. And I got to see Dad a couple of times, and we were waiting for, for the biopsy. They knew there was a lump, this, this mass at the back of his head, but they wanted to go in and, and have a look at what, what it was they were dealing with. And Dad was in good spirits. He, he wasn't showing any signs of illness or, or being unwell or any effects of the tumour. And I was thinking, God, you're great. You're already working. You are doing an amazing thing. You are, you are bringing uh, my dad through this. And so the first week of August, I flew out to Slovakia uh, to be at a worship festival. And, and, and in the worship, my, my faith was up there. I was saying, God, you are amazing. God, you're going to pull through. God, I trust you. You're already doing it. And I flew back from Slovakia and, and had a phone call that Dad had had a stroke. And it had, he'd lost the use of his left side. His speech was seriously affected. So the next day was our wedding anniversary. 
And, and I spent the rest of my summer sat at my dad's bedside, still praying, still believing God was going to pull through. And we even saw a slight improvement. There were, there were days when your dad would have, be able to have a simple conversation. And, and they'd even started physio to get him moving again. And I remember being stood here and saying, listen, thank you for your prayers because they're starting to get dad moving again. He's starting to see improvement. And, and then one weekend he deteriorated. He caught sepsis. And if they didn't get on top of it, he wouldn't have long left. And I drove back to Exeter on the Sunday night because the Monday was Naomi's first day at school. And, and I planned to be back. And on one hand, I was bursting with pride. That she stood there in her uniform, ready for, for a future that was just beginning. And we were so excited for, for what she had ahead of her. But at the same time, there was a sorrow for a future that was being stolen. My dad died that afternoon. He was 17 days away from retiring. And there was no great healing, no great revelation, no great unveiling of God's power. My family is still not saved. But I've never been more convinced of God's faithfulness. I've never been more convinced of God's sovereignty that even when, when the enemy means for evil, he turns it for good. Even in, in, the, in the, every valley, I know that God is faithful. In every season, he's still God. In every storm, he's my anchor. In every shadow, he's my light and he's my hope. And, and I'll tell you, I've got 10,000 reasons to worship. I genuinely have. And I can't go into, into it now, but there, there were, during that time, there were phone calls and conversations and, and just chance meetings of people who just dropped into my life from places I didn't even know existed that, that convinced me that God was working through it. It convinced me that God had a plan because he knows the plans he has for me. They're plans for good, to give me a hope, to give me a future. And if I seek him, I'll find him. And I had opportunities to pray for my dad while he was in hospital. I had opportunities to pray over him. And I don't know if he heard me. I don't know if he heard me, but I know that God works beyond our understanding. I know that God's not bothered about our human audio system. That I believe that God speaks to people in all sorts of ways we could never understand, that he speaks to people in dreams. And even though I don't know if, if my dad was listening, I don't know where he was with God when he passed away. But I believe with all my heart that God was with him, that God called him home. Should we stand together? Because finally, Joseph moves into his reaping season. Joseph by now is 30. And, and finally, what he saw in his dreams 13, 14 years ago start to come to be a reality. He interprets the dreams to Potiphar. He's, he's um, promoted to number two in Egypt. From number two in his family to number two in Egypt. The only person he reports to is Pharaoh himself. And as we know, Egypt at the time was the most powerful nation in the world. He is the number two in the world. Because of his character and his capacity. And for some of you, this last year may have been a season of reaping. Actually, where the promises came, good where the promises came through. And we've all got stories of where God has provided. We've all got stories of where God has stepped in. We've all got stories where God has sustained us. And you might look back on 2018 and go, do you know, that was a great year. That was a fantastic year. I'd do it again if I could. 
This was the year everything worked out. Maybe this year gone was the year that your dreams became a reality. And that's amazing. That really, really is. And I'll be honest with you, because you may think, oh, well, you know, this is the happy ending. I'm not in my reaping season yet. I'm not there yet. I've still got some more resting to do. I've still got some more sowing to do. I've still got some more growing to do. But I know it's coming. I know it's coming. That in every season, God has been with me and he will be me. Joe, you said it, Matthew 28. I am with you always. We see it in the life of Joseph. In the prison, in Potiphar's house. And in Pharaoh, it says the Lord was with Joseph. And I want to encourage you, whatever season you're in, you've got God with you. Whatever season you're in, God walks with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because you are by my side. I might not be in my reaping season yet, and that's fine. Because I know God's with me. And I know his promise still stands and I know that his promise is worth my patience. So wherever you are this morning, wherever your year's been like, we've all got reasons to worship. We've all got reasons to to thank God for what he's doing in us and through us. Habakkuk 3 says that even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine. Even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Psalm 71 says, I will keep on hoping for your help. I will praise you more and more. I will tell everyone about your righteousness. All day long, I will proclaim your saving power. Though I'm not skilled with words, I'll praise your mighty deeds. And I'll tell everyone that you are just. Come on, church, let's raise our hands. Let's just raise our voices. Let's just start to thank God for this year. Thank God for what he's done. Thank God for where he's taken us. Thank God for what he's brought through. God, we place our trust in you. We place our trust in you for the year ahead. We thank you for all you've done. And we thank you for all you're doing. We, we place our trust in your faithfulness and your provision and your providence and your power. We place our lives in your hands and we thank you for what you've done and what you are going to do. All of our lives, God, in every season, we have 10,000 reasons to worship. God, you are still God. You are still good. And we give you all the praise, all the glory, for you are worthy. Amen.